Good day, nerds. This is Megan coming at you with another Cantina Conversation. Today's episode features a chat with Cantina about her upcoming release, After Anne, a novel about Lucy Maud Montgomery's life that comes out on May 30th. Um, yes, for those of you who loved Anne of Green Gables or that that series and that character holds a special place in your heart, that is um, L.M. Montgomery, and she is going to be the main character in Logan's uh, debut novel here. So it was really interesting. I mean, personally, I have never read these books. Um, I will have to now. But it was really interesting uh, hearing about Logan's process and just how odd she was with um, Mont- L.M. Montgomery as a writer and, and just kind of dove into learning about her life and brought it to historical fiction form. But either way, I'll let you guys get to it. Here is Logan Steiner. Okay, so we've got Logan Steiner here today. We're talking about After Anne that comes out on May 30th. Um, Logan, thank you so much for joining us today. Very exciting. Your debut novel, correct? It is, yeah. Yeah, so um, congrats, and we're right there in the home stretch here. So, yeah, story, and I'm gonna preface it by saying I'm n- I've never read um Anne of Green Gables, so um my opinion is not swayed by Anne. So I was like, which is not a bad thing, I promise. So um, you know, thanks for I'm I'm, I'm interested and excited to have you here and to to dive a little bit deeper today. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me on. And I love to hear from readers who have not read Green Gables because I very much intended this to be a book for everyone for absolutely for, for fans of Anne as I am, but love to hear the, the responses of those who are not yet acquainted with Anne. Yeah. And so, so thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before we get started, can you give like a summary of the book so that I can follow along with the conversation? Absolutely. So the book is After Anne, a novel of Ellen Montgomery's life. And it is, and Ellen Montgomery is the creator of Anne of Green Gables. That's what she's, um, you know, the book she's best known for, but she was a very prolific author, wrote 20 novels, short stories, poems throughout her lifetime, was really, um, you know, a a famous figure in Canada in her time, kind of like the the Mark Twain of Canada, is how I like to think of it. And, and, really well-known, um, so celebrated in her time. And um, she has a fascinating life story. It's been told in a comprehensive biography, was told by herself in, in journals that she wrote, recopied, and intended to be published after she passed, which is just such an interesting fact. And I, um, you know, learned about her life story and wanted to tell it, but I wanted to tell it in novel form. And so this book focuses on pieces of her life. I chose which pieces to tell, really fascinated by this question of looking back at the end of your life, what really stands out. And so I focused um, on that question throughout the book and, you know, with the benefits of dialogue and other things that fiction allows you to add in as a writer um, it is, you know, a novelization uh, very much grounded in the historical record and as much as I could, uh, you know, dig up about Ellen Montgomery. Yeah, absolutely. So to kind of also get started, can we go into um, your background a little bit, like professionally, personally, anything that kind of would give insight into like um, what led you to release this story and, and to bring it out into the world? Sure. So I grew up in Colorado. I 
was a kid who was always had my head in books, always wanted to write. Um, Anne of Green Gables was actually part of my inspiration for that. Stories, um, when I was young about others who had creative dreams and I loved all of Ellen Montgomery's work. There are so many um, precocious young women in her, in her books that have the kinds of creative dreams that I had. And one of the things that was so appealing about that for me is that these were also really bold kind of precocious characters. And I've always had to, I've always been really scared to put my work out there in the world to, you know, put my writing out there. Um, and so they were such inspirations to me in that way. So I was a little, I was a kid who always wanted to write, um, was an English major in college, did a lot of creative writing, uh, got advice from some of my favorite professors to not become an English professor. I was really considering <laughs> that route. Uh, but they really said, you know, it is a long, arduous path. And if that's what you want to do, you know, you could do it, but you can really get pigeonholed into certain small minutia of literary analysis. And, you know, especially nowadays, um, kind of have to go wherever you get a job. And I, and they said, you know, if there's another type of career that you've considered, try that first. And <laughs> uh, I had always, you know, been interested in the law kind of in theory. Uh, I, you know, have this kind of sense of justice and doing right. Um, it's been a big driver for me. And so law was a natural fit. It involves a lot of writing. And I also have a mom who's an artist and she was big on, you know, don't depend on creative work to pay the bills, have something that's steady and stable <laughs> and will support you along the way. And so, uh, you know, law um, had that going for it too. So I went straight out of undergrad into law school and, you know, practice always with the aim of writing on the side, but it took me a while to get there. So for a long time, I was sort of, you know, caught up in big law world, working crazy hours and um, putting this dream on hold. And then it was, it was really kind of the, the worst event that in my life, um, losing my brother suddenly, that was mm. a quick wake up call um, that Oh, so, you know, we just don't know how much time we have. And, um, and that was back in 2014. And, you know, it, it took me a while from there to get to the place where I was ready to write, but it really, um, made me start doing the thing that I had been talking about doing for a long time. And I wanted to write the story of another creator. I wanted to write about somebody whose work had inspired me. I, I love learning those stories. I find that they're like the best recipe for feeling alone in the world and feeling like, you know, you're the only one that's insecure and like has all of this self doubt and has overcome things or had to face things that are hard. Um, and so I wanted to tell that kind of story based on real events, but in fiction form and Maud's life as I learned about it was just huge. Yeah, I, I had so many um, burning questions when I started to learn about her. I was, I was so fascinated with her going in because I loved her work. And she was just an enigma. She was this incredibly complex woman. And so I was really driven to to tell her story. And it was, it's, it's been an eight-year journey from there. So there's kind of more, <laughs> more layers from there. But that's how I got to um, the place of starting. Yeah. Yeah, that does sound like pretty heavy start anyway because yeah I imagine that once you decided to go ahead and 
get the ball rolling. Um, it's like, yeah, you're just getting started. Like <laughs> it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yes. And I was doing it alongside practicing law, you know. Oh God. So balance Good for that you. For sure. I'm glad that you were able to get, you know, to accomplish your goal after like all that. Cause I know from what I hear about law school, it's um really demanding and unforgiving. <laughs> and it's it can be, yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's yeah. it's just yeah, it takes the time that it takes, obviously, but it's just so it's just so many moving parts, you know, that it just it depends because like I imagine like you're really anybody who becomes a lawyer is like really smart, but that means you're often competing like your colleagues and your peers and your competition are also very smart. Cause it's like at the end of the day, you know, you're trying to, you know, uh, make your case and that other person is just as smart as you and just as clever as you. And you got to be prepared for everything. So no, I do not envy anyone doing that, but I'm glad that you found your path (laughs) one way or the other to, um, to getting this, you know, this goal to get to accomplish it. That's a big deal. Yeah. It's been a long journey. It's been a long journey of finding kind of better and better fits in terms of the law jobs that suit me because I'm in litigation, but I am by no means a litigator personality. I really like the writing and that's, (laughs) that's about it. And now I'm in a job where I really focus on the writing and that's been a wonderful fit, but it took a long time to get there. And there's just a lot of, steps to go through like you were talking about um, yeah and is just, it like the writing part of it is that more like contracts and stuff brief writing so submitting briefs to courts as part of litigation so it's part okay. of that kind of adversarial process but i find it much more storytelling and crafting and time to kind of sit back and think and reflect and less of the like you know combative adversarial mm. parts of law that yeah that people love it's just not it's not me no, I, I am not one that is um, quick on my toes or on my feet. I cannot yeah, think same. and come up with witty same. shit on the fly. I can, no. and I'm perfectly fine with with that because I don't I don't pick fights often. I don't like, right. right. I don't find myself in arguments where I have to have something in my back pocket. I'm not like a keyboard warrior, you know. I'm yeah. I'm I'm very I'm I'm very much like I know that I d- I don't know everything. So if I don't, same. if I'm not comfortable talking about it, I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> and like, same, same. And, it's just about finding your niche and knowing oh, yourself yeah. in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Cause I'll speak up about stuff that I like care about and that I know about and that I'm comfortable with, but I don't know. I'm like, so like, I so avoid conflict in a way that if, even if I disagree, I'll hold back. Cause I'm like, I don't know if I have the energy or, you know, for this. Cause I'm just like, I don't know. Just, just uh, arguing is just not, and not in my interest unless, but you know, it depends, obviously there's a time and a place, yeah. right? <laughs> right? Right. No, I'm very much the same, the kind of, you know, I'm just highly sensitive too. And I've, I've come to really embrace that about myself, but it means that I'm going to be conflict avoided and yes, fight for the things that really matter. But, um, you know, for a while I was just trying to fight that tendency myself so hard and I've come to really own it a little yeah. bit more at least. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. Like once you realize that about yourself, you're just, it's, it's, yeah, it's easier to not, you're not at war with yourself anymore. You're not like, because for the longest time I was like, do I need to be more assertive? Do I need to be more argumentative? And it's just like, well, no, like (laughs) I don't, it's okay. There are plenty of people in the world who like I envy or not envy, but you know, I, I give them credit for being able to just like, 
argue their points, state their opinions and, and hold their own. And, um, you know, they die, they will die on all the hills. They was like, not undefeated. Cause you know, I, I, I admire that, but I'm like, I'm just, I'm not that way and I'm okay. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Yeah. Same different styles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you for like figuring out. Yeah. How you fit in there. Cause I imagine the, yeah, like in that industry is probably like, you're probably really struggling with it for a while. Yes, it was it was definitely a journey of uh, self discovery and trying different things on, and you know, but but it's it's been a really interesting one and interesting to try to balance the two, the writing and the law. Yeah. Um, so, did your like did your professional life, like the skills and the work that you did for law, like did that help prepare you, you know, for for after and to developing that project and like you know, maybe some of the research, like what did you approach it in, in the same way? Like I want to explore like your process yeah. and like how that, how that, yeah. how you figured it out. Absolutely. I mean, I do think that there are many ways that my law training prepared me. I wasn't in the process conscious of, you know, how, how those things applied, but you know, every, I, I had so much practice and sitting down to write to research and write briefs at the time that I started this project. And I think that, you know, choosing a historical fiction project was um, probably a little bit more natural fit because of that. I was familiar with this process of kind of research, figure out what you need to know, start outlining, then continue to research as you go and not, um, not getting too intimidated by that. Although it was an intimidating, um, you know, big life subject to take on, but I think that training was really helpful. And then just persistence, um, you know, legal briefs get filed and submitted on much quicker timelines. But I think my whole process of kind of going through different stages of my law career and figuring out, you know, the best fit and, and kind of iterating one step at a time really prepared me for this book, you know, having its own journey and having different iterations. And I could, you know, just that persistence level. I think this persistence were quite possible to get through early years of a law career. And I think that was a big piece of it too. Yeah, for sure. Was there any like fascinating things that you learned while you were researching? Cause I know after well, reading the, um, what was it? Your author's note that you just went through everything, right? It's <laughs> like yeah, anything you could get your hands on. Hands you went through. On. I did. It was fascinating. And I, did a lot of note taking and I was really, I mean, you know, a lot of subjects that um, historical novelists write about don't have a set of journals that have been published. So there was a huge body there to work from. And these, you know, it's not like we had, you know, a couple of small volumes. These are really voluminous, comprehensive works, works of art in their own right. I think I, I recommend them to many people. So there was a lot to draw from there. And really where I got fascinated was in the things that she chose not to tell. So her biographers, um, her biographer, Mary Henley Rubio, did this wonderful job of, she was an editor of her journals and knew her work so well. And in the biography, she talks about how Maude would razor out pages of her journals in this recopying effort, that there were parts that she you know, not only rewrote, but then decided the rewrite wasn't good enough. And so took those out 
And <laughs> just the fascination of what would we have taken out. And of course, we'll never know exactly what those pages that we took out said, because they're, they're lost history. We also know that we burn papers at the end of her life. I was so fascinated with that. You know, what would it be? What, what kinds of papers would this prolific, famous author choose to not want in her life record? And really just kind of the human question of like, what do we keep? What, what do we want to protect? And what stands out at the end of life? So the gaps that I got to be really, really interested. And, you know, I write about this in the author's note, but there's left beside Maude's bedside at the end of her life. And, you know, it was suspected to be a suicide kind of kept under wraps for a number that was very much like the pages of her journal notes that she would keep for recopying into these volumes. And that, if that is accurate, it never got into those final published volumes. So a whole set of, you know, many, many pages that we don't know. And so really fascinated with what was that the end of her life like that she, you know, chose not to keep that part of the record and what would she have done with that? Um, you know, her biographer says so many things could have happened to it. Her son could have taken There's a lot of possibility there, but you know, fiction allows this sort of play in the possibilities and imagining into what could have been. And that to me was where, where a fictionalized account could be additive and could, um, you know, really explore some of these questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was funny. Cause when I read, um, when I came across that part, you know, or we'll try to be spoiler free, but when I came across that, unless you know, you know, her life. <laughs> right. And it's right. Like, I try right. to, you know, what's revealed in the prologue, I feel like is fair game and, you know, how her life yeah. ended is sort of there. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I think I remember when I was reading part, that was parts where she was just like rewriting her journals and she was like kind of changing it because she was like, had lived through it. And she's like, Oh, did I really sound that naive? Let me let me make myself sound less naive, and I'm like, girl, what are you doing? Like, I, was, I know, I know. Because yeah, it's it's it kind of speaks to like that human experience of like inherently wanting to like preserve your image, right? And yes. what you want the world to remember about you, and and how you were, how you talked, how you handled situations, all that stuff. And it's kind of you know, it's it's kind of relatable, but at the same time, I'm like, well, she she actually did it. Like, I should. <laughs> yes, I know. And it is, it's so human. I think all of us can relate. It, you know, back then I feel like celebrity figures like Ellen Montgomery were the ones that most had to worry about this. Like, what will my future image be? Now we have social media. Right. And so I think so many of us are in this question of like how curated to make things. How, how do you really try to be authentic in this online world? I think that question you know, like how much to edit is so relevant right now. And I just, I think about mods so often just in my day-to-day living. And now that I've gone back onto these platforms as an author and I, you know, that I've been off for many years, I'm, it's always, I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that, yeah, seeing the parallels kind of like, or lack thereof to today, like social media, like I'm so glad that social media was barely getting started I don't think it was really, I think Facebook was like the first year I was in college. I think that's when I heard about Facebook, maybe the second year, but I just remember like 
God, how far have we come? You know, and I'm like, thank God I didn't. I had instant messenger in like middle school. And I think that's the extent of any like online interactions with my peers that I've had, but it's, we all didn't have cell phones. We weren't taking videos, pictures of everyone in school. Like if, you know, we had an embarrassing moment, there wasn't someone there with a camera immediately, like making it go viral. Like that's why I'm like, so glad that I am not growing up right now. <laughs> I'm like, you know, past that know. point and anyway. And, but then I'm also like worried about my kids, obviously. You know, I'm like, the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how do you explain to them? Like these likes don't matter. Shares don't matter. Who cares about these other kids? Like, don't, right. you know, like just like the normal things, like don't give them power over you. Right. Like don't give mm-hmm. them that like gratification of having that effect on you. You know, they don't, care like even if you do care like because i know it's hard but just like pretend that you don't and that you can't give you know it's like all these things where i'm just like and i have two boys so i guess luckily they might be less susceptible to to that kind of like desire for attention you know or they may not notice it um yeah yeah, it might might not be as pervasive but yeah to have like a teenage girl right now that would like terrify me I know. I have a a daughter who's 21 months and it's already terrifying to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and how do you, you know, teach that at a young age knowing, I mean, I just remember so vividly, right, the middle school feelings of wanting to be liked so much. And then it's just magnified and, you know, taking everything, you know. So, and plus middle so schoolers are they're so mean. Like, yes, terrible. kids that age, oh. they're horrible. <laughs> I know, I know. And it's like, oh, but it's almost a rite of passage, right? Like everybody's gotta go through it. Everybody's gotta and, go through it. My yeah, my plan is to tell my daughter, like, this was and maybe she'll look right, but like this was a terrible time for me. Like it may very well be for you too. Cause I think that's what I so wanted to hear at that time was like, you're not alone. Other people, you know, this isn't a fun time in life. It will get better. <laughs> yeah. Know? For a lot of people, this is a really, really hard period. I and, know, right? Like, yeah. just, and it's hard to like take that seriously, take that advice seriously. Right. You're, like, those be yeah, like, okay, mom, person, whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, all right. Like, you know, and it, it, it's hard because it's like a journey that they have to walk through themselves. You can't just like go into school and be like, you know, listen, all you fuckers who are talking shit about my daughter, like you can't like right. go in there like and the take care bully. of business. Yeah. You, <laughs> Plus they you gotta... and I don't want to confront people anyway. <laughs> it's so true. I'd be so Even awkward. <laughs> they would just be like a 14 year old um, girl, like making me cry before I leave the school. <laughs> be like, okay, right. never mind. Bit off more than I could chew here, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, so, oh, well, maybe you did answer this. Was, was there any like surprising or fascinating that you learned while you were, um, you know, going through your research and all the materials? You know, really those journal gaps were so fascinating to me. Um, you know, Maud did have a number of serious suitors that at, at a certain point I had more about that in the book. I ended up, that was something that ended up kind of on the cutting room floor, but it, you know, she did have these other, you know, many relationships before the man that she ended up marrying and one where she was deeply in love. And that was something I really wanted to tell and work in. 
Um, but it, it felt like it would need to be almost another book or another, mm. you know, it was, it was kind of too big to just have be a few chapters. And I really wanted to focus in this sort of what happens after the famous book that everybody loves, you know, what's, what's the aftermath, what's the after and that question. And the, the chapter, his name was Herman Lear, but his, his chapter of her life was kind of too early for the story that I wanted to tell, but, you know, really seeing just how many suitors we kind of had turned down was really determined to write above all else. And I, you know, have such deep admiration and respect for that, but then kind of understanding after researching and being more steeped in that time, how hard it would be to be early thirties and not married. And there was just so much pressure and the pressure to not be a censor. Um, You know, that was kind of surprising. I think just, how how different early 30s were back then versus now and that that's really intense pressure to marry yeah yeah it's us because i just finished reading um oh there's a couple a couple last few books i've been reading have been historical fiction and one of you know a couple of them have been like just focusing on that like why like it's such a big deal for women who like oh something wrong with them or like why why don't you want to get married why don't yeah. You know, you must have a reason, like, what, <laughs> or what that reason can't be that important. Right. Or like, yeah, when at the end of the day, Maude just wanted, she just wanted to achieve her goals first. She just wanted to do her thing first. And it would made it so like heartbreaking in the end was that, um, she had, didn't seem she had like, she had a, that many people in her circle that, um, supported her in emotionally, mentally, like supported her in, her decision and or in her like process of putting it off, you know, of yeah. non-conforming. Yeah. I think it's such a story of how you can be so well-known and, and so unknown at the same time. Um, and so much of that, you know, she did have really close friends throughout her life, but she lost her closest friend in middle age. And I think that question of how much to share, you know, she had so many people in her social circle and was, so well known throughout the country and had many people who were friends that to share those kind of deep confidences and the struggles that she was going through that I think were really, you know, hard to share at the time with social norms and social stigmas and that kind of thing, you know, left her in this really um, alone place. And I think that again has a lot of modern day resonances, right? People can have a million Facebook friends and feel very alone and, you know, so yeah or it's you know like yeah they have a big they have a big circle but it's like how deep quality over quantity yeah right like how it's like yeah maybe you have like 30 people in your entourage or whatever but how many of those people would like could really kind of read between the lines or tell under the surface if something's not right and who you could depend on to like be there you know no matter what and yeah yeah, it's it yeah because uh ultimately she was like well-known everybody was always asking about her books like oh blah 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 like we're gonna get more characters soon we're gonna get this we're gonna get that and then it's you can kind of get you know you kind of feel like the reader gets that through the way that you tell the story is where she was just she was alone you know she just like felt it was just lonely and it's kind of sad you know and it just like adds to to what you feel for her um for this version of the character that you've yeah. developed. Yeah. For the weekend of like her birthday weekend, that's when she's celebrating finally being published. Right. And then you kind of like yeah. the whole story flashes back and forth. So 
how was it like getting into the headspace or like deciding how you wanted to tell that story and to keep going back and forth 33 year old mod versus quote unquote present day mod right and jumping back and forth and i also want to explore the fire and like the symbolism because it's you'll have you have those little instances of it's almost like she's in a trance state or it's like we're just in mods subconscious or something and i don't know you know correct me if I'm wrong, but it always comes back to that, to those special moments where she's erasing part of, not erasing part of herself, but erasing the record, erasing the record of herself. So I know it's like a four part question. I don't know, but like, so how did, yeah, let's start with like, how did you go back and forth? Um, How'd you get in that mindset? How did you figure that out? Yeah. So the birthday weekend um, was a later addition to the book. So that is part of the the answer. Um, (laughs) I wrote those pieces, you know, I, I'd written a kind of three parts of her life kind of, you know, right before publication and then after publication kind of showing what comes after. And the birthday weekend was this, you know, it, it grew out of this fascination of her burning things at the end of her life. What would she have, what would have been kind of one of the, the pieces of her life that stood out most brightly, um, that kind of, you know, counterpoint contrast of, you know, what came before the, and what came after. And I'm, I'm so interested too in, in life decisions that have these ripple effects, you know, the sort of butterfly effect idea. So, you know, she's, she's grappling with this big decision in that birthday weekend. And, you know, I saw the rest of the book is kind of, exploring what came out of came after that decision but in terms of the headspace so writing them at different times is part of how I I did that um, but while I was revisiting you know while I was writing the birthday weekend I was revisiting I did a lot of editing of this book and so I was revisiting the other parts too and so um, I think it was a joy to put myself in that kind of more optimistic forward-looking time in Maude's life and so I had I had a lot of fun writing those birthday weekend scenes. And I think the kind of counterpoints that they provide, the the links that I ended up being able to make as I was reworking between birthday weekend scenes and the other parts of her life, that, that was just, I always love those sort of connections and reading when I'm a reader. And so that was a lot of fun to do. That is fun. Yeah. Cause you think about what you enjoy and what gets you to, to stay engaged, right? Or like what will add that extra layer of complexity to a story. And yeah, that's really cool. Cause it's sometimes that you have to like, if you're stuck on it, like then you have to figure it out. And then you kind of look in like, well, you kind of look at what, what you've read. That's really made that happen for you. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So especially pairing that with plus the title. It's like after Anne. So you gotta like, mm-hmm. well, what comes next? That's really the question, right? It's like, she she accomplishes this big like you know monumental milestone and then it's like then what you know? right right like where does she go from here and then how did that affect you know the people in her life and the people who are close to her and important to her because it's really heartbreaking you know like with you and right am I pronouncing mm-hmm. that right mm-hmm. yeah her husband where he just kind of like slowly declines it seems like or I, I imagine that was like, you know, well, 
they didn't really have terminology for it then, but he's like basically depressed, right? Like he fell mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. a state of extreme depression and, and unfortunately nothing was, they weren't, I will forgive them because they didn't know better, but right, a lot of their right. solutions just were not cutting it. And not good ones. Right? Yeah. <laughs> just like no. it would give him some pills, give him like, let him rest. Like, right. No bromides and barbiturates that are basically toxic <laughs> and poisonous, and they were used though by you know so many back then. And this is only a hundred years ago, you know, that yeah. we're talking. It's not, um, but just just realizing that and how far we've come. I mean, there's still further to go, but how far we've come with mental health treatment and recognition. Oh and yeah, really. Yeah, gave abs- me huge appreciation for that. Absolutely, me too. Especially like yeah, those parts were. Plus, it's like, you know, she didn't really have any support either. She didn't know how to deal mm-hmm. with a spouse that was going through that. Um, right, right. Like so many of, of our loved ones, they have, or people, you know, who need help, like their partners need help too, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yes. And you, you need that support um, on both ends. And she was, she was managing so much of, you know, his care, her author career, raising sons, you know, writing the whole time. And yeah, and there just really wasn't um, the understanding around what was happening from the medical perspective um, to give, you know, that kind of feeling of knowing what to do and, and feeling of being able to help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So kind of further exploring some of what you've talked about, um, two-part question, what were the most challenging parts to write? And then what were the most enjoyable parts to write? So most challenging parts, the scenes with Mob's kids, um, and mm. I won't give away particular scenes, but I um, struggled to write those, and I actually ended up rewriting some of the most significant ones after becoming a mother, and that was a, a huge gift that I, you know, still had this book sort of in my workshop, and you know, was still able to edit it at that point because getting getting that right, getting Mob's feelings her kids complicated as they were to feel authentic was the most challenging part and I knew that that was so important and so just at least to get it to feel right to me took a lot and um and I'm really grateful that I that I kept going with that that's and, awesome oh my god yeah because I imagine if you had a child after it's already up, off to the yeah, printers you would have like, been so hard right <laughs> like oh but I, there's so much of this that I didn't capture and like the depth of love and I yeah so so those um were the hardest and and also rewarding um the the easiest were um you know the scene the scenes where mods or where Anne's voice is in mod's mind I've loved that character like I said since I was young and so that was just a treat and somehow I just felt like her voice came like that those uh, parts just sort of wrote themselves in a way. Um, and that was so enjoyable. I love that idea of, you know, an author having a character in their minds. I've loved experiencing that. And it was sort of happening to me while I was writing on the page. And that was really, really fun. And then the the burning scenes um, that are kind of scattered throughout uh, that you find out more about as, as you go along, those also you said, like you said, fire was such a big theme. I was so fascinated with that idea and how it played out for Maud. And those were really, I felt like I was the closest in Maud's head in those scenes. And I really enjoyed writing those. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And that's so funny that you're like, oh, no, now I'm one of the cool kids. It's happening to me now, too. (laughs) Briefly. Where she's just like kind of, she's like popping into your head, like, hey, don't make me sound like that. Like, (laughs) yeah, no, I would never say it that way. I would never be that cautious. (laughs) Yeah, it was such a, it was such a treat to embody Anne for a, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And oh, yeah, and Anne, like, yeah, cause like I said, like, I'm not familiar with who she is as a character. Like, I've heard of, I've heard of the series, but so she kept writing, um, installments as she was getting older. And so Anne was getting older then. And right. then so she did write Anne, like, as the character into her thirties. Is that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. She wrote, she kept writing her and then she writes that she got bored of her age, which I find so interesting. Ella Montgomery mostly, like, her, signature was basically characters younger younger ages and older ages and she she wrote about this you know that's just so hard to make a middle-aged character interesting (laughs) and I've had people say that to me about Maude actually like you know I don't read that much fiction where like a female protagonist is in their middle age like that that's just sort of (laughs) I I end up reading a lot of that fiction um I really I think you know it definitely exists out there but it is interesting why that would be you know it's it's hard in some ways for a writer to write yeah it's and plus i think maybe in younger ages it's like where there's more opportunities for growth yeah even though i mean i feel like there's always opportunities for growth no matter how old you are but also i guess when you're it's always that like running joke right like you get to a certain age where you just don't care anymore (laughs) like you just like you say what you want to say and yeah Yeah. so maybe that's like the appeal I think that's right. I think Ellen Montgomery has such a gift with words and language. And I think she had, she could have so much fun with youth and old age because they're both times when you care less what people think and, <laughs> um, and, you know, speak your mind much more candidly. And then when you, you know, especially with the norms of that day, when you got to be middle-aged and you had to be sort of prim and proper and settled down and established, you know, that mm. that was just not as much fun for her. But I think, you know, there's so much that, that I take from that in terms of the freedom to speak my mind. Like whenever I revisit Ellen Montgomery's fiction, it gives me more of a sense of that. Like, yes, I can just like say the thing. And I am somebody who can so relate to Maud's mind of what will people think. And so, you know, that gave me this sense of real closest to Maud and um, understanding. But, um, you know, I also related to the part of her that wrote all those characters who just, that it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like my ideal it's, self it was her out her outlet you know yeah yeah because it was because uh her her grandmother ran a tight ship too mm-hmm, she, <laughs> mm-hmm. from the book she sure. was, was always correcting her <laughs> for sure yeah, yeah. <laughs> i had a lot of fun with that grandma character too. i was very very close to my grandma my mom's mom and oh, okay she had the same like kind of scottish heritage things that i could really relate to much less hard edge um, she was <laughs> very much somebody who spoke her mind and told me things that nobody else would tell me when i was young and i loved it yeah but I, there were parts of the grandmother character and you know the way that their relationship evolved i kind of took pieces of that from my relationship with my grandma Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, because there were moments where her grandmother would like, she would like let her guard down a little bit, be more yeah. like, a little more forgiving. Yeah, and that I thought I like I liked those moments. I was like, oh, 
It's like you I'm you do have it that. in you, like right. you do have, you know, some softness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cute. Um, so just a couple more questions before we wrap up. Um, what advice would you give to Maud? And then maybe what what advice would you give to Freddie? I'm just curious because I really did like Freddie a lot. Mm, yes. Um, I loved writing her too. To Maud, I would say, I'm what they all and write what you want to write. And I say that with total, total empathy and an understanding of, of where she was at, at each point in her life. I, I so deeply relate, but I, you know, she, she had this sense of a demand of her readership and what her readership wanted to read and kind of never let herself have that freedom of this book that she always wanted to write about a single adult life that she, she talked about. And, um, oh, I just wish she would have given herself that permission. I think, I think her journals are, are really that, you know, in their own way, but to give herself that permission in, in her life fully and to loosen the reins, uh, you know, let go of what other people think. And then, to read, I would say, you know, keep. Oh, sorry, I pronounced her name wrong. No, I was no, because like, it's you like know, Fred Frederick. Frederica. Frederica. Okay. And in in my mind, it was always Freed. It may have been Fred, actually, as they said it at the time. But I, I thought me. Oh, no, Freed sounds. Freed makes more sense when I'm reading it. But then I'm like, oh, what if it was like they just called her Freddie? I don't know. Right. So what, I like whatever. Freddie a lot too. <laughs> I like Freddie a lot. So I think don't. She's just such a vibrant, alive character to continue to not let fear hold hold her back and to not settle. And I think, yeah, I think I think that's what I would say. Yeah. So solid advice for anyone really. Just, yeah. You know, grab a hold on to what what you've got going on. And what do you hope that readers get out of your story? I hope that they <laughs> have a appreciation of just the depth and complexity of a creative life beyond sort of the headline view of what we know about a creator and really come away with an even deeper appreciation for what Maude did and managed to create and the beauty that, that she created that still inspires so many people by knowing everything that she faced, everything that she overcame, what she couldn't overcome, um, what was really, you know, there, there was, I think so much beauty in the hard parts of her life too. And there's so much beauty to her and so much to inspire and kind of her tenacity and what she was able to persevere and overcome. Yeah. Persevere through yeah. and overcome, I should say. Yeah. It's important, especially at that time. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. She, yeah. Cause she didn't fit the mold and she didn't want to. And it seemed like um, society just kept trying to, to get her to, comply <laughs> and yeah you know there'd be no Anne. i don't think if, no. if, if if they won i think that's right i think that's right and i think more than anything i i just i hope that her story makes people feel deeply um because it's made me feel so deeply and it's one that like i just never have stopped being fascinated by during these mm-hmm. years mm-hmm. Um, so i hope it's I hope I've, you know, given people some of that, that depth of feeling that, that I have. Yeah. Or even readers who fell in love with Anne and are now older and mm-hmm. can explore like it on a deeper level. Yeah. 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 For sure. 
Logan Steiner, are you working on anything, any new projects that you could talk about or, or, you know, what's next for you? I am working on a memoir about my many years journey to motherhood. Um, that is the space that I have felt like I want to write in. Um, and I writing on Substack around motherhood decision-making, big creative decision decisions in life. Um, and that's been a good kind of short essay form during this publicity season for the book. Um, but, and I, and I do plan to continue to write historical fiction, um, but that memoir space has been the one where I've just felt most compelled to write recently. Yeah. Yeah. And you never know like that it's, I think it's okay if that takes several years too, because <laughs> you, you know, five years from now, you're going to be a different person. Right. You know, allowing um, that time is such a lesson that I've learned from this this book journey uh it's kind of been the story of my life it's like let let things take the time that they take and don't rush them oh so. god as frustrating as that is right like yes. you were just telling me we were saying yes. the release dates uh may 30th next week and you said yeah thankfully because <laughs> <laughs> right right and then after learning that it took you like eight years from like concept of completion no wonder you're like oh my god when is the end of may coming like please <laughs> you know Yes. Oh, long yeah. So long awaited. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's coming out. There's no stopping it. Um, Logan Steiner, thank you so much. Where can we find you online and on social media? So you can find me. Uh, my website is logansteiner.com. L-O-G-A-N-S-T-E-I-N-E-R. Um, has links to uh, my sub stack, which is called The Creative Sort. Um, and then I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, none super heavily, but I've, I've gotten myself back on all those platforms. Well, I feel like you kind of have to, when you, when you're part of the author, published author community and you want to, you know, get your name out there, promote your work, promote your book. You gotta, unfortunately it's the name of the game, right? (laughs) Right. Right. And there's really, there is really genuine connection to be found there. That's where I try to keep my focus. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. Well, Logan, thank you so much. Um, after Anne, it comes out on May 30th. Thanks. This was, I, like I said, I was not familiar with Anne. I've heard of her, but, um, I really appreciate this opportunity to kind of dive a little bit deeper into getting to know the woman behind the pen. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was very cool. So well thank put. you so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Likewise. And there you go. That was Logan Steiner talking about After Anne. That comes out on May 30th. Go ahead and check out the show notes to see the links for her website, her social media, and where you can purchase the book. If you do enjoy these books, that uh, these authors, these book reviews, all of that that we're featuring on the Nerd Cantina, go ahead and hop on to Goodreads and Amazon to rate them, rate their work. It really does help them out. Rate, review, subscribe, follow Nerd Cantina and Cantina Book Club. And as always, thank you guys so much for listening.